You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Let me pray. We're going to be in Luke 8. We're going to cover a lot of a lot of ground today. We're just going to touch on some things. Um, I felt that it, it would be best to cover a lot of ground so that you don't hear the same sermon kind of three times. Um, he has basically one point that I think Jesus is pointing out here, and, and he's challenged us to say, how do you hear? Take care how you hear. And um, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I know for a better part of two days I've struggled with this, been struggling with Theology and struggling with how it says and how I'm to present it to you and, and how, it, how it plays different in first century and, and how it is heard by the disciples and then how is it heard by those that are saved. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of um, diagnostic within this passage, um, but there's always good news, right? That even though the good news sometimes is, is that Jesus presents a diagnosis for us so that we can actually truly see our hearts so that we can then respond accordingly. And I hope today, as, as we walk through these verses and see these different things, that, that God will, will do just that. Um, my prayer to this morning, as we prayed in the back, that, that those that are in Him and, and can rejoice will rejoice. And, and maybe there's one sitting here today that's like, uh-oh, um, I, I resonate more with this, and maybe they can repent, and today is the day of salvation for them. So it's all good news all the time. So let me pray and we'll, we'll dive in. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Um, or we thank you for your spirit that dwells in us as we just sang about that. Lord, it's, it's you who has done the heavy lifting. Lord, it is you who dwells in us and, he, and helps us. As Nate said that, yeah, we are to work out our salvation, but you are working in us all the time. And Father, today the, the challenge is simple. What, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, take care how you hear. It's, this passage is going to play out right now. In the next 30 minutes. How will you receive the word of God? How will you hear the word of God? Father, I pray that you would help us to hear rightly. And then to put it into action. As Jesus calls us to do. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So now, we closed out chapter 7 last week with a picture of faith. If you remember, we, we had the, this Pharisee that invited Jesus into his house, and we had the woman who was at Jesus' feet, who poured out the perfume and, and just gave everything to him in, in a display of her faith. And, and within that passage, it, it, it reminds us that you know those who love much have been forgiven much. And it kind of shows us that we are to love Others and, and just shows that this woman was loving because she knew how much she has been forgiven of. So as Luke opens the scene in chapter 8, he introduces us to women who are caring for Jesus and his disciples. This is very important to Luke. Um, he, from the very beginning, has pointed out the women who have been around Jesus, the women that God has used. Um, and he carries it all the way through to the very end. He carries it all the way through to the cross, to the tomb, and everything else. This is very important to Luke. He wants to point out that, again, as, as the gospel says, as the, the title of our series calls, that the gospel is for all people. And so he's pointing out these women 
that care for him in the first three verses of chapter 8. So let's just read those real quick. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of um, Chusa and Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So again, from the beginning of the gospel, Luke is pointing out these women. They play a significant role in responding to and contributing to Jesus' ministry. All of those women had experienced the saving power of Christ in some way. Mary Magdalene had been possessed by seven demons. He delivered Joanna, who had connections of the royal palace, and, and a woman named Susanna. The Bible does not tell us anything more about how these women came to Christ, but they were there. They were part of this discipleship. They were following Christ. They were learning from Christ. After healing them, Jesus invited them to come join him. This is remarkable in first century. So many times we read the Bible and we, 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 say, we think of, of different things like, well, that's wrong and that's right. But you got to remember, keep it in context. Keep it in context of first century. And, and, and it is quite remarkable how much Christianity has fixed in the way society treats certain people. Yes, we have our black spots, but when you get right down to what Jesus said about it, he corrected so much about what society got wrong. So he invited these women in to, to learn from him, and, and rabbis just didn't do that back then. right? The, the theology was for the men, and the men taught the women, and that's how they did it then. But Jesus invited them in. He taught them. And get this, they're the ones who provided. Remember, Jesus always said, I have no home, I have no food, I have no job. But people always took care of them. It's like modern-day missionaries. We called on the saints to take care of their needs as they go about doing the mission and ministry that God calls them to do. So he calls them in, and he's teaching them. And the women who followed Jesus served him to the very end. They were there to the very end. They never left his side, much like the picture of the woman at his feet, crying and wiping his feet and giving, her, giving him everything with the perfume. They were there all the way. The disciples disbanded, but the women were there, who also were his disciples. They followed their Savior to the cross and to the grave before meeting him again at the resurrection. The faithfulness of these women is an example for every disciple. They were devoted to his teaching and the kind of teaching that we're about to embark on in the rest of this chapter 8. Jesus had been bringing the good news of the kingdom to people. He's going around and teaching. And as Tim read earlier, salvation comes from hearing the good news. We have to hear the good news in order to be saved. And Jesus drives us home to his disciples in his teaching today. Let's just read the first part of this parable in, in Luke 8. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. 
And some fell among the thorns, and thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things he called out. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is, there's always a crowd around Jesus. He's teaching his disciples. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus, knowing his audience, he pulls from their everyday life. So he's using a a picture that they would see all the time. People sowing seeds on their farms to produce crops. This is the first major parable in Luke's gospel. Now, we have seen other small parables, like shorter parables. We, we saw the house in the sand parable and the two debtors parable. But this is the longest parable by, by far. In a way, it is a mother of all parables because Jesus used it to explain why he spoke in parables and what the parables were supposed to accomplish in the lives of people who heard them. For those that are hearing the word of God. There are two steps in understanding any parable. First, interpretation, then application. First, we we need to understand what the parable means. Then we need to put it into practice. But interpretation comes first. And his disciples have no experience with this, so they did what maybe you and I would do. Well, Jesus, what in the world does that mean? They asked. What is it... Okay, I, we, we understand the picture. We've seen the picture. But what does it mean? What, what are you trying to say to us? So Jesus explains. We pick up in verse 9. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That's a tough word, is it not? I mean, every American will scream and, and raise up and say, that's not fair, right? As we sometimes read and we see that and we say, oh, that's, that's not fair. What do you mean? The parables has a purpose. So that some people don't understand it and some people do understand it. That might kind of push back at you right here, right now. And, and again, this is according to Jesus, This is not according to a theologian or a scholar or a theological system. This is according to Jesus. The parables serve two purposes. They reveal and they conceal the secret of the kingdom. In this case, Jesus told his disciples that they had been given the secrets of the kingdom, and then he explained the parable. But for those that are to not understand, they continue to not understand. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't, won't ever understand, but as he's teaching, they're not going to understand. He has a purpose. But Jesus did not give this gift to everyone. Not everyone understood the secret, even though the secret was out. Like, the secret that he's talking about, that I'm the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the one that, that you've been waiting for. I'm the one that will save everyone. I mean, it's like it's a secret, but the secret's out, and, and people still didn't believe. They saw him heal people, raise people from the dead. They saw him um, do all kinds of amazing things. They still didn't believe. They still didn't hear what the Word says. Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the means of salvation. Indeed, the very same parable that gave the disciples knowledge of the kingdom also kept some people from knowing Christ. The reason Jesus taught in parables was so that some people would not understand. This is not something new. 
It's not something that Paul came up with. This is not something that is out of character of God. And we know it's not out of the character of God because how do we know this? Because he quotes Isaiah in his explanation. Isaiah was given a message. A message he, he was to take to a nation, his, the chosen nation, Israel, because they were stubborn and were not doing what God asked them to do. Which is fitting because he ends this section by saying those that are part of the family are the ones that do the will of God, that do what they hear. God gave him a message. And let me read the entirety of that. He just gives us that little blurb that he says. They will continue hearing and not hear. But if you open it up to Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, it says, And he said, Go and say this to the people. God telling Isaiah, Go tell this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What is Jesus saying here? It's both breathtaking and simple at the same time. What he's saying to them back then, and and in some way what he's saying to those people around him then, is you have rejected my salvation. And that rejection has consequences. We don't know the, the end to each person, but God does. So don't, don't think that it's a once and for all thing. Just because they're sitting around and they're listening and he's speaking in parables as he does some part of his thing, it doesn't mean that that's the end all for those people. They could come back and someone preach the gospel to them and God gives them the ears to hear. But he's saying specifically, this is what my parables do. This is what they do. This is the purpose of the parables. Take care how you hear. That's what he says to them. This is the purpose of the parable. So take care how you hear. So we're going to simply go under three headings as, as Jesus is going to talk it out. He says, hear and bear fruit. Hear and shine your light, and hear and obey. Hear and bear fruit, hear and shine your light, hear and obey. Jesus will now explain the parable to his disciples. And what we should be doing is using it as a diagnostic tool for us. Where are you at sitting here, July 23rd, at Mountain City Church? Where are you at? It's a diagnostic tool. It's not saying that if you feel like you're one of these, like that you've got to work and do these different things. It, it, this parable is not saying that. This is what I struggled with. It's like, how do I communicate this without the person adding a thousand pound millstone around their neck and say, okay, well, I need to leave here and do X, Y, Z. That's not the point. Jesus is the Savior. We do not work our way to salvation. He is the Savior. So as he unpacks these different soils, you're going to fall somewhere. And so it's good to know where you're at. It's good to know. So it's a diagnostic tool. It's actually a diagnostic tool that reveals our heart. It's going to reveal our heart. In fact, we, we should pray that God will give us the right kind of heart. A heart to hear the word because our internal life depends on it. It depends on how we hear the word. If nothing else, this passage shows us we need the Holy Spirit. 
to break through to our hearts and understand the light of the gospel and respond to it. We need that. Get this, his parable will happen in the next 30 minutes. What does Jesus say? He begins with, an, with walking out an indifferent heart. An indifferent heart. Luke 8, 11, and I, I'm going to give you what he says and, and also how he explains it. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So he says this seed that he's been talking about, it's the word of God. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And, and the explanation to that, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. This is an indifferent heart. When they hear the word, it doesn't mean nothing to them. It falls on deaf ears. We are witnessing, um, hopefully, we are witnessing to, to people right now, but we just need to keep praying for them. These are those that maybe they're not hearing the word or don't want to hear the word because they're not willing to give up certain sins. It's like, no, wait a minute. If I listen to the word, then I've got to give up all these things that I get great joy in. Maybe they're just not interested in, in any authority. Right? That's, that's runs rampant in our culture today. It also runs rampant in our heart. That goes back to Genesis 3. Notice also, just before we leave this, this person, notice that they have someone against them. They have Satan. Satan would prevent everyone from ever hearing the gospel if he had his choice, but he can't. He knows that hearing the gospel brings salvation. That's what Tim read for us which is the, the last thing he wants to see. So we have this first soil, and it's an indifferent heart. The next we see is kind of like the impulsive heart. And we pick this up in, in 6 and 13. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture, and Jesus explains it. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while in a time of testing fall away. And what he's talking about is that impulsive heart. Those who have an emotional experience but no roots to carry them along. It's sad that, that many services on a Sunday morning is aiming for that response. But here it's someone that has, is not saved. Yes, if God saves you, if God changes your heart and you become born again, you will have an emotional response, absolutely. But Jesus says that sometimes people have this emotional response and they're carried along for a week or two and then something comes along and snatches them away, takes them away. Sometimes they try it and it doesn't work for them. Because they weren't really coming to Christ because of who he is, but maybe what he can do for them in the temporal, not the eternal. Yes, we do go to him because he can save us and give us eternal life. But maybe it's more like, oh, I tried Jesus for, I tried that church thing for a little bit, and it just doesn't work for me. Well, 
As I was thinking through that, Chesterton just rang in my ears, right? The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Because if you're just on this emotional high, well, if you're truly changed, now you have the Holy Spirit and you're starting to point out sin in your life. Now that you truly see the fallen world that you live in, well, you're not going to have that high forever. In fact, Jesus might even send some things, if you're truly his, along the path of your life that causes you to suffer, that causes you some pain, so that he can grow you and mature you into his son. And by the way, through that we get greater joy. We have a greater fulfilled life. This idea that the impulsive heart had a personal experience of Christ, but it did not lead them to repentance. To say, I've been living my own life, trying to be my own God, and now I'm going to let you be my Savior and my God instead of me being my Savior and my God. See, they've had an emotional experience, and they like that idea about church and Christ and all that, but they truly haven't seen their sin. That's why when I'm hearing for somebody's testimony, that's what I'm listening for. I'm listening for at what point in time did God tell you that you're a sinner? Because I'm wondering if you've never gotten to that point, are you this second soil? And now you've just formed some habits and you're being carried along. That's a scary place to be. Like I said, diagnostic tool. They thought that Jesus was going to meet a bunch of needs, but they didn't really understand the message of the kingdom. So you have a different heart, you have an impulsive heart, and you have a preoccupied heart. <laughs> this one hits the home the most, at least for me. I would suspect that for probably everyone sitting here, because if I say, how are you doing, we don't say, okay, anymore. We say, what? Busy. That's how we answer everybody. Busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Great if you're busy about the Lord's work. If you're just busy, then maybe it's a preoccupied heart. Luke 8, 7 says, And some fell on among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And how did Jesus explain that? And as for, and as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So all three of the first soils are not believers. They're not saved. Because, I mean, if you stop and think about Ephesians, the whole point of the church is so that we could deliver each other mature in Christ. But he's saying that the fruit does not mature. So yeah, we see a little bit of fruit, and they do some things, and they're carried along for a while, but it doesn't mature. And we know that mature means that one day we will be glorified. That's the maturing that he has in mind. What Jesus is saying is don't listen to the word of God with a divided heart. The things that's, that's scary about the third group is it's pretty easy to see the first two groups are not real Christians, but it's pretty easy to see that the the last soul is a real Christian. But what about these third ones? They're carried along for a while. But they never truly, fully mature. They have no deep, deep root, or they don't even want to look at the root. 
they stick around, but the seed fell among thorns. And the thorns are springing up and making it hard for them to bear fruit. In this group, these people's lives are committed to Christ, but Christ shares control with things. It's a divided heart. It's like, well, I'll give you control over this much. I'm keeping control of that much. There's a division. They worship God, they worship Christ, and they worship other things. There's a division. And Jesus will have none of that. Luke 4, 8 says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. You know, I wonder, again, this is just Joe thinking through the passage. I wonder if what happened in the church is there were many of these third soils within the church. And they were involved in lots of programs, and they were busy, and, and they had this divided heart where, you know, they, they would say, I'm doing X, Y, Z, and I'm there, and I'm there, and, but I have all these other things that I'm doing. And then what happened was, is the pandemic comes, and it shuts everything down, and they leave the church, and there's a mass exodus. I, I think about stuff like that, like, could that be it? I also think about the third soul, even on a more personal level. And I know I'm going to strike a chord with some because I know some of the stories. But I wonder if this idea of deconstructing your faith isn't just people that were living in the third soil. But, and I know that's hard. And I know that you might know people and care deeply for people that have kind of walked through this, but the good news is, is you can still preach the gospel to them. It's not like it's over. You can still give them the good news of the gospel, and God can still truly change their heart, and then they could be like the fourth soil that bears fruit. The last heart we have is a noble and good heart, a heart that bears fruit. And Luke 8, 80 says, And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As Jesus explains it, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, listen to what he says to it, that, that you hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And that, that word patience, Paul translates in endurance. Endurance, endurance. He's looking for the long, long game, so to speak. When good seed is sown in good soil, it yields an abundant harvest, which Jesus describes back in verse 8 as a hundredfold. A good heart is not so hardened by sin that Satan can snatch away the good seed of God's word. It is not so shallow that it withers in the heat of persecution. It is not so distracted that it gets choked off by life's troubles and pleasures. Instead, it stays rooted in the word of God, and as a result, it bears a bountiful harvest. Notice how Jesus describes this kind of heart. It is a heart that holds on to God's word, reading it regularly, believing what it says about sin and salvation, and living in obedience to its commands. This heart is also an honest heart, one that is sincere in its desire to grow in, in the knowledge of God. It's a good heart, 
one that has been made good by the grace of God. Not something we do, but something that He does through His Word and the Spirit. Such a heart will always bear fruit. It will always bear good fruit. Because when it is planted in a, in a good heart, the good seed of God's Word grows a harvest of love, patience, righteousness, and the other fruits of godliness. In other words, the fruits of the Spirit. Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is by far one of the most basic lessons of being a disciple of Christ, is that we are to listen. Disciples were to still in, in kind of spiritual kindergarten, right? They're, they're just new on their journey with Jesus. And the main thing children learn in kindergarten is how to listen to their teacher. If the disciples never learned to listen, then everything else that Jesus had to teach them would be useless. How can we do what Jesus wants us to do unless first we hear what he has to tell us? To make sure that his disciples learned this lesson well, Jesus added further application to the parable of the soil. So if you're going to listen well, first you're going to listen and bear fruit, but you're also going to listen and shine your light. He said to them in verses 16, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be, uh, be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. There it is again. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. So hear and shine your light. Hear and shine your light. Jesus just told his disciples that if they had good hearts, they would hold on to his word and bear good fruit. But they needed to put his word into practice. Like the lamp in a house, the truth of the gospel was meant to be put to use. It is never intended to be hidden away. It's always a circular thing. It's never just input, 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 input. Part of you learning about who God is and who you are is whenever you start giving an output, and then you start seeing how people relate to things, how people respond to things, and it also completes your trust in Him. It's not a linear thing. It's always a circular thing. It is taking what you're learning and go and sharing it with someone else. It doesn't matter if you were saved yesterday or if you've been saved for a long time. You have something in your cup to pour into somebody else's. And he's saying, don't let, don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. Go shine it. Because we live in a dark world, brothers and sisters. They need the light. They need it desperately. Sadly, many people hear God's word without ever having it make any difference in their lives. As we learn from the peril of the souls, people can hear the good news about Jesus Christ and yet fail to bear any good spiritual fruit. By telling the proverb of the hidden lamp, Jesus is making a further application. Some people hear the gospel again and again, but when it comes to glorifying God, again, this is this circular idea, when it comes to glorifying God, they're useless as a lamp under a jar. And mainly it's because, number one reason, fear. Okay? But in your salvation, Jesus 
has freed you from the slavery of sin and he's also taken away your fear because perfect love that he's given you has taken away that fear. You don't have to worry about what that person thinks about you because your identity is rooted in who Jesus Christ says you are. So it doesn't matter if, if you give them the good news, if you share the good news with them and they even hurl insults back at you, you can go and say, huh, I was faithful. And at the end of things, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Not good and, oh man, you, you, you saved all these people. No, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. They may even claim to be Christians, but they keep their so-called Christianity to themselves. And what good is that? That's not what Christianity is. It's not an individualistic idea. It's not just for you. Yeah, there is a personal relationship, but that personal relationship has to go public because you are called to be part of a faith family where you love one another, encourage one another, and, and you go outward. I just, we, we can't be people to just, and it's so easy, isn't it? I mean, we have so many different ways to take in sermons and, and podcasts and different things that can happen. We just take in, but no, Take some time to put out. To put out with the, to shine your light. To give the gospel to others. How do we do that? We let our light shine in our words and our actions. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom... You shine as lights in the world. Lights in the world. And also with the light and within this paragraph here, he also gives a warning. In the connection to light, Jesus says that one day all that is secret will be revealed and made known and come to light. It's all going to come out. No one's hiding from God. Period. Doesn't matter where you're at on this planet, you're not hiding from him. None of, none of the sins that you think that nobody knows about, God knows about them. So why not just take them to the cross so you can be forgiven of them and maybe freed from them? That's the more important part. Freed from them. One day all will stand before Christ. And we want our friends, our neighbors our loved ones, to know Christ because they will stand before Christ. Again, Jesus comes back as he's talking to his disciples and he says, take care then how you hear. For the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Those who listen to the word carefully and bear fruit will continue to to learn and grow and enjoy God's word. This refers first back to verse 8 at the end of the parable of the soils. Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why? Because whoever has to him, more shall be given. Take care how you hear. If you have spiritual ears, then you will be given understanding. It also refers to the first, fourth soil, describing in verse 15, the seed and the good soil. Whoever has to him, more will be given. What they have already is an honest and good heart. You will then grow. 
You will grow in patience. You will grow in kindness. You grow in gentleness, self-control. And the more that will be given is fruit. They bear fruit with perseverance, with patience. So take heed how you hear. Hear with spiritual ears, not just the ears on her head. And hear with an honest and good heart, not a deceptive and evil heart. But Jesus says, whoever does not have, it'll be taken away. Look at the negative half of verse 18. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. What, does, what is he referring to? He refers to the other three souls in a failure to hear with a good heart and with a true spiritual ears. In each of the first three soils, there is a hearing of the word of God. But in each case, what they think they have is taken away. Verse 12, the first soil, they think they have the word, but the devil snatches it away. In verse 13, the second soil, they think they have joy, but they have no root to sustain them in time of trial. Their faith is superficial. Enthusiasm that is real only in the good days, not so much in the bad days. So when the trial comes, what they think they have is taken away. Finally, in verse 14, the third soil, they think they have the word of God, but when the worries and riches and pleasures of life come, what they think they have is taken away, and they fail to bear fruit. They fail to mature. He's not talking about, I've had this, this is what I was wrestling with. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because how this parable was taught to me so many times was these are four souls, four people to hear the gospel, and this person let Satan take their salvation away. And this person let joy take their salvation away. And this person let the the thorns take their salvation away. No. That's not what's happening here. Your salvation is secure because... You didn't work to get it. He gave it to you as a gift. Your faith is not, your faith is a faith that's given to you through Christ, through what he's done. It's a gift from God. That's exactly what Ephesians tells us. So he's not talking about salvation. These people are deceived in somewhat. And it's written as a diagnostic to show what's happened. It also it also could be, and many theologians think of this, when you look at this, this parable of, of the souls, is they could be talking about, okay, here's how the word's going to go out, and here's how different people are going to respond to it over time, like the length of time. But he's not talking about safe, salvation. He's talking about the way they perceive the word and their effectiveness in living the life of a disciple. In their effectiveness... I mean, James wrote a whole book about this. Faith without works is dead. James said something about that, right? He said a little bit about it, a couple chapters about that. They were never really saved, the first three soils. And in fact, John says something about that in his epistles. But although they were here, they were not among us. That's why they left us. Take care how you hear. Hear and bear fruit. Hear and shine your light. Finally, hear and obey. Now, Luke uses, I know in the other 
um, in the other Gospels, this story is kind of blown up. And, and you could probably do a whole sermon on this, but he's still saying the same thing here. Then his mother and his brother came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. Who is it that belongs to Jesus' family? It is not a matter of kinship, but about obedience to God's word. This encounter teaches us both a minor lesson and a major lesson. The minor lesson is that our calling in the family of God sometimes has to take precedent over the claims of our earthly families. Yeah, sometimes God has to come first. Sometimes. not saying all the time. You can get out of balance that way too. Because you're getting out of balance of God's will if you're neglecting your family because there's certain things that the Bible says that we must do for our families. Jesus always respected his family. But even as Jesus recognized the claims of his family, he knew that they had their limits. And in this case, he refused to be distracted from his calling to preach the word of God. Without disowning his mother and brother or showing them any disrespect whatsoever or saying anything derogatory about them, he put things in a proper perspective. The supremely important thing for him to do was the will of his father, which he does all the time. That's why he prays a lot. He goes and he prays and he learns the will of his father and then he goes and does it. And simply at this point in time, the demands of his family on earth were not in line with God's will. God's will was for him to be preaching and teaching right then and there. There's no higher privilege or greater blessing than to belong to the family of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is one of the grand themes of the Bible and one of the great hopes of our soul, to be a son or daughter of the Most High God. This fits everything Jesus has been saying up about hearing and doing his will. It is not just saying that we belong to God's family that makes us the children of God. It is living as obedient sons and daughters. God's true children are the ones who do what Jesus says, who live with the light of the gospel. So Jesus says to you today, take care how you listen. Hear and bear fruit. Hear and shine the light. Hear and obey. I pray that the Lord has given you ears to hear today or that he will do so as you've heard the gospel today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know that we come in and sometimes we want that, that message that charges us up and gives us full of joy and But if we are the fourth soil, if we are your children, Lord, there is joy in that. And there is joy in seeing exactly where we stand. Because it always can be changed by God. Father, I, I pray today, if there's anyone here that's like, oh, wow, I, my life looks more like one of those first three soils than the fourth soil, 
then, Lord, you had them here to hear the good news that, Lord, that they have sinned against you, they've rebelled against you, that you have sent your son to fix that. That if they turn and trust in the work of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that may be in that category that, Lord, that you have changed their heart, you will work in their heart, saying me respond accordingly. And maybe, Lord, it, it, like as I've been working through this sermon, I found myself in trusting that firmly that I believe that I'm saved, I'm yours, I'm your child. But, man, awful, Lord, I, I see that I act like those soil sometimes. I hear the word, and that's how I respond. Lord, I pray for me and anyone who might be in that camp today, Lord. First, you remind them that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that you and your Holy Spirit is working in them, and all this takes time. Lord, I pray that you would help us in that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.